and we praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, just for the example tonight of, of Moses and Joshua, Lord. And I pray that we would learn what it means to live in your presence. The Lord, the year 2003 would be a year that we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, living in the presence of Almighty God. And Lord, I just thank you, Father God, for each one who's here by divine appointment. We know that nothing happens by chance. And Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be soft and that you would be our teacher. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, two weeks ago, last week we had our Christmas service because it was Christmas night, but two weeks ago we looked at Exodus 32. And Exodus 32 is the story of the golden calf. And we remember how the, just the incredible rebellion of the Israelites. We saw the roots of rebellion and the fruits of rebellion. If you remember that the, the roots of rebellion were fear, impatience, and faithlessness. You want to see someone that's going to fall into a rebellious lifestyle? It begins with fear. Fear of men. Fearing men more than we fear God. It begins also with being impatient. You know, you want God to do something and you want Him to do it right now. Right? Lord, give me patience right now, right? I mean, Lord, I want you to do something. I, I really want to be married. I really want to have kids. I really want that promotion at work. And if we don't get it in, the way, in our timing, not God's timing, we can become rebellious with God. And that's what happened with the children of Israel. Moses had gone up on the mountain. He'd been gone for 40 days. 40 in the Bible is a number of what? Who remembers? It's testing. Remember, you know, Noah's Ark, 40 days of rain. Uh, when when they, um, David and Goliath fought their battle, who, Goliath came down the valley of Elah 40 days and 40 nights. And, it, and when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it was for 40 days. And here, that Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days, and during that time, the children of Israel, instead of looking to God, they began to look to a man, and they went to Aaron, and they said to him, Moses is never coming back. He brought us out into the wilderness. We're all going to starve now. What are we going to do? We don't even have a God to follow. You need to make us a God. And so what did Aaron do? He took all their ornaments and they threw it in and they melted it and he, and he made them, a carved them a golden calf. And so the roots of rebellion we saw last week were impatience, fear, and faithlessness, not trusting God. And they wanted a God to follow, something they could touch. And so often that's what we do. We want a God that we can touch. Remember that the first time that Israel really blew it as a nation, one of the many times when they cried out for a king. They already had a king. The king was God. They cried out for a king and God gave them King Saul allowed them to have King Saul, and it was a disaster. So we saw the roots of rebellion, then we saw the fruits of rebellion. The fruits of rebellion were blasphemy and then immorality. What did they do? They began to worship a god, a golden calf, and the calf was an Egyptian deity. Remember, they had been in bondage for 400 years in Egypt, and they have been delivered out of bondage, and what do they do? They start worshiping the very thing that they've been delivered from. And it's very much like us as Christians sometimes. We become new creations in Christ, and then we go back and worship the things of the world. Egypt in the Bible is a typology or picture of the world, and the bondage that we're in is a picture of sin. And we've been delivered from the world, and we don't need to worship the world anymore. We're in the world, but not of the world. And then we saw Moses interceding on their behalf, and God told him, Moses, I'll start over with you. These people are a mess. I'll just start with you. And I'll be honest with you, Moses was like their pastor. And you, can you imagine pastoring a church of three million whiners? Because that's what he had. Three million, oh, all they did was whine and moan and complain. And, oh, we had leeks and onions back in Egypt. Oh. I mean, you know, and the Lord comes to him and says, Moses, I'll start over with you. And you think Moses might have said, you know, that sounds pretty good. You know, seed of Moses instead of seed of Abraham. Those guys were whiners anyway. But he didn't do that. He truly had the heart of a pastor. And he interceded on behalf of his people. And then we saw God bring righteous judgment. Because when Moses came down, we know that they were out of control. And we know that God brought judgment upon them. But remember how Moses reacted when he saw the golden calf. 
Moses didn't have fear of men like Aaron did. Aaron made a golden calf because he was afraid of the people. Moses came down and saw the golden calf and he smashed it into small pieces, ground it into powder, put it in their water and made the people drink it. So these are the consequences of your sin, guys. You're gonna, you want a golden calf? Here you go. Have something to drink. Right? I mean, he came down and smashed it up. He had no fear of men. He had a fear of God alone. And you know what? That's when we fall into the trap is when we are more worried about what men think than what God thinks. And then lastly, we saw him confront Aaron. Aaron's his big brother. Can you imagine if I left and went out of town for a month going to Israel or on a mission trip or something and I came back and you guys were worshiping a golden calf? Man, there'd be problems. Everybody would be fired. It'd be game over, right? And you know what? Here it is. He comes down. Here's his big brother Aaron. They're all worshiping the golden calf and they're dancing around. It's a total disaster. And he comes down. He smashes the golden calf up and he goes up to Aaron. What are you thinking, bro? What are you doing, man? I go away for 40 days and you guys are worshiping a golden calf? I mean, you'd think he might you know, give him a noogie or slap him in the head. Or what are you doing, Aaron? What's wrong with you? And we see Aaron's response. Well, uh, it was the people. And you know, when confronted with sin, we can do one of three things. We can make excuses, we can accuse others, or we can repent. Well, what does Aaron do? It was the people. It's like, it's like Adam. It's the woman thou gavest me, right? It's always someone else's fault. And so he doesn't want to take responsibility for his sin. And he's like, well, what, what's up with this golden calf? Well, they brought me the gold and the thing just popped out. We put it in there in the pot and this calf just popped out of there. And so he lied to cover his sin. And that's what happens in our own life. When we fear men, before we know it, we're doing things to honor men and then we're making excuses for our sin and we're blaming others and we're lying instead of repenting. And so Israel comes under heavy judgment because of what had happened. And it says in verse 35 of chapter 32, So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. You know what? Sin has consequences. Amen? Every time. Now, is our God a God of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness? Absolutely. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You can't sin so much that God won't forgive you because He will. But here's the thing, even if God forgives you, there's still consequences that we must face, and that's what happened to Israel. So tonight, we're going to look at chapter 33, and in chapter 33, we're going to see living in the presence of God, and we're going to see first the consequences of sin, which is broken fellowship with God, then we're going to see our individual positions of fellowship before God, then we're going to see intercession on behalf of the people, and lastly, intimacy with God. So let's begin in verse 1. And take a look as they're coming down from Sinai. And the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Okay, so the Lord comes and says to Moses, take these people which you brought out of Egypt. Now remember, this banter is going back and forth between God and Moses. We've seen this after each chapter. The Lord says, those are your people, right? They're messing up, they're your people. And then Moses comes before God and says, these are your people. Nobody wants to take credit for these guys, they're a disaster. And so he says to him, take these people which you've brought out of Egypt and take them into that land of promise, that land that I promised unto you. And he says, I'm going to send my angel before you and I'm going to wipe out your enemies. Now this sounds pretty awesome. You know, praise God. I mean, we were in rebellion. We've had plagues upon us, but God is still going to send his angel before us. He's still going to go before us and he's going to take care of our enemies and he's going to bless us. But you know what? Even though God would be faithful to us, to his people, he's still going to de- they're still going to have to deal with being separated from him. 
Because the deepest question of all is, how can such sinful people like this be in God's presence? And the reality is that sin separates us and sin breaks fellowship. Because take a look at verse 3. Look what it says. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. That sounds great. So you're going you're to go before us. You're going to send your angel before us. You're going to honor your promise to give us this land. You're going to wipe out our enemies. And you're going to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. But read the rest of the verse. For I will not go up with you in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. The Lord says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to honor my promise to you, but I'm not going with you. And the reality is that as Christians... And people struggle with this sometimes, but the reality is that once we've given our life to Jesus Christ, we have the promise of heaven. Amen? It's an it's a absolute promise. We're going. We're ha 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 heaven bound, as DC Talk would say. We're going, right? And you know what? My name's written in Lamb's Book of Life. He's preparing a mansion for me, and I'm going. And I can't wait. But the reality is that God still wants to do a work in and through us while we're here. You know, we don't just go sit on a mountain somewhere and right, be the biggest, fattest sheep we can be, right? Come into church and just get fed. Just get fed, fed, fed. You know, the reason the Dead Sea is dead, it's got an inlet, no outlet. You know, God wants to use us for His glory. And so we see here that He's not going to be in their midst. He said, you know what? You guys are stiff-necked. You won't repent. I cannot be in your midst. Why? Because light and darkness cannot coexist. Because sin and rebellion cannot be in the presence of Almighty God. Now, what does that mean to us as believers? Because these are the chosen people, and now today we've been chosen by God. We're His children. Can we break fellowship with God? The answer is yes. Now, can, are, can we, will He ever disown us? No. Will He ever cease to be His children? No. You know, the analogy I would use is, you know, I have four children, and I love my kids, and I always will. I'll die for my kids. Love them to death. But you know what? If one of my kids is sitting at the dinner table, and he reaches across the table and smacks his brother in the forehead, he's going to have to deal with Dad, Right? He's probably going to get a swat and be sent to his room. Now, he's sent to his room, and because he's in his room, he's broken fellowship with his dad. I can't talk to my son. He's in his room. The door's shut. He's being punished, right? Now, is he still my son? Of course he is. Do I still love him just as much? Absolutely. But can I communicate with my son? Not really. Now, my son, after some time, comes out with teary eyes and says, Dad, I'm sorry. What does dad do? You're forgiven, son. Put him back at the table and restore that fellowship. Well, guess what? Israel has broken sh- fellowship with the Father. Israel is in rebellion. They're stiff-necked. They're people that refuse to repent of their sin. They're going to go to this land of abundance. They're going to go to this, this place that's a picture of heaven. But again, they're going to be doing it outside of God's will. He says, I will not go up with you in your midst. Again, this is a consequence of their sin, even though they're God's chosen people. I looked up the word stiff-necked in Hebrew, and what it means is stubborn, cruel, hard, grievous, obstinate. And basically the opposite of broken or repentant. You know what? When we're stubborn, we're not repenting. When we're obstinate, we're not repenting. It's when we're broken that we repent. It's when we see our sin that we see our need for a Savior. And so what happens is they're out of God's will and He says, you know what? I can't be in your midst. And it says, if I'm in your midst, I'll consume you. You guys will all be toast. You know what? You can't have holy God around sin or sin gets just... It gets scorched. God can't have it. So as we are seeking to be in the presence of Almighty God, we must come to a place where we are restored to a full relationship with Him. And that only can come through repentance. Not through being stiff-necked. Not through doing things my way. And we're going to see that more as we continue on through the text. Verse 4. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one 
put on his ornaments. Now this actually blesses me because these guys are stiff-necked and they've been in rebellion and you would think that there's at least a fleshly part of them that might say, well, cool, we're going to get the land of promise. Our enemies are going to be wiped out. He's going to go before us. You know, that, that's pretty good considering we've totally blown it. But we see here that they were in mourning because they realized that the land of promise and having your enemies wiped out is meaningless if God's not with you. You know what? You can have the cattle on a thousand. You can have everything. You can have the biggest house in town. You can have the most beautiful wife, most handsome husband, the best job, the most money in the bank. And if you don't have the Lord, it's meaningless. It's of no value. It will bring you no peace. It will bring you temporary happiness, but it will not bring you peace. And so they begin to mourn over the fact that even though all these things will happen, that the Lord will not be in their midst. You know what? I wrote down here that we should be more concerned about being in the presence of God than getting presents from God. Amen? Too many churches out there today where it's all about God's this holy Santa Claus up in the sky and we tell Him what we want and if we just believe it hard enough then God's got to give it to us. I'm glad that my God's not a puppet up in the sky waiting for me to tell Him what to do. Amen? I'm glad that He's perfect. His will is perfect. He knows what's perfect for me. And I need to come to Him and say, Lord, not my will, but Thy will be done. I need to come to Him broken. And we see here that they begin to mourn because they realize they're going to be out of the presence of God. And there's no place that can replace His presence. Verse 5. For the Lord said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Now this is interesting. What did they make the golden calf out of? Those ornaments, remember? They took the ornaments, earrings, and the, th- the gold that they had brought with them out of Egypt, and they had used that to make a golden calf. And these were things that they adorned themselves with. And the Lord said, I want to see that you've given me proper place. I want to see that you take those ornaments away and that you truly are in mourning. This taking the ornaments off would be like sackcloth and ashes. It's taking away what's most valuable to you and putting it away and saying, you know, this is what adorns me, and I can't be adorned when I'm in mourning. And it's interesting that when Moses was up on the mountain, the Lord gave him, and those of you who are here, we went through the tabernacle and how it was going to be constructed and how every item in the tabernacle is a picture of Jesus Christ. And remember that most of those items were going to be overlaid with gold. And what was the gold going to be made from in the instructions that were given? These very same ornaments. So these ornaments could be used to make a golden calf or these ornaments could be used to be melted down and used in gold to make the Ark of the Covenant. And what's that application for us? How does that apply to us? We can use the resources God has given us to purchase idols, to adorn ourselves, or to glorify God. You know, the stuff that you have, who does it belong to? God. Not 10% of it. All of it. Amen? I'm just a steward. I'm wearing God's shoes tonight, right? This is God's stuff. It all belongs to Him. And I need to be a good steward of His stuff. And I need to be faithful with it. Not just 10% of it, but all of it, because it all belongs to Him. And so the analogy here is, look, you can take the ornaments and you can use them for a golden calf to build an idol that you can worship. Or maybe it'll be an idol out in your driveway that you'll worship. Or maybe an idol that you live in that you worship. Or whatever else it might be. You may spend the money on yourself to adorn yourself. Or you can use it to glorify and honor the Lord. So we see the consequence of sin is broken fellowship from God. They're in a place of mourning. Let me ask you a question. When you're walking with the Lord, doesn't it break your heart when you sin? Raise your hand if that's true. D- doesn't it just kill you? When you sin, don't, man, it just kills me. 
And you know what that is? It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because I love the Lord so much, it grieves me to to have separated myself from Him. It grieves me not to be near to Him and in His presence. And it drives me to a place of repentance. And so we see here that the first thing with Israel about being in the presence of God is that we need to be in a place of repentance. And the the consequence of sin, again, is broken fellowship. Verse 7 through 11, we're going to see our individual positions of fellowship with God. Verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside of the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Now, this is not the tabernacle that we've been talking about because they haven't made it yet. All those instructions that were being given to them haven't even been delivered to the people yet. He came down with those instructions and they were partying. They were in this wild, drunken party and it was out of control. And so he hasn't even delivered to them. So what he's done is he's just making a tent of meeting, a place where people would go to seek the Lord. But notice where he pitches the tent, far away from the camp. Now what is that a picture to us? Why did he move it far away? You've got three plus million, probably, Israelites and he's moved way outside of the camp. Why did he do that? Because he, he heeded the word of God. God said, I will not dwell in your midst. And he said, you know what? If I live among the people where God is not going to dwell, then God's not going to be with me either. And so if I'm going to be with the Lord, I need to move away from the world. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And he moved far away from the camp. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go where I can have intimate fellowship with the Lord. Moses moved his tent outside the camp far away, more concerned about fellowship with God than being near to men. Now the application for us is this. If God is not there, then we shouldn't be there either. You know that movie theater and that movie you want to go see? If you wouldn't take Jesus to it, don't go. Amen? Now the Lord is always with us. We take Him with us to those movies, sadly. You know, we bring the Holy Spirit. Come on, come watch this with me. Right? And if we're in a place where God is not being glorified, if it's a party that you're going to, And you're at this party and you know that the Lord's not there. You shouldn't be there either. Now, God has called us to minister to the world but not have have fellowship with it. Amen? Do we have a burden for the lost? Absolutely. If God calls you to to go to a friend of yours party to go tell them about the Lord, then you go do that. But should we be in fellowship with them? The answer is absolutely not. We're to minister to the world, but not have fellowship with the world. Bad company corrupts good morals every single time. You want to find out what kind of person you are? Look at the people you're hanging out with. Amen? Moses understood that, said, stiff-necked people, God's not in their midst, I'm camping out here. Took his tent and moved it far away from the camp so that he might hang out with Almighty God. Now again, I'm not saying we go live up on a mountain somewhere because God does want to use us to minister to a lost and dying world. We all need to spend time outside the camp though, to get away and spend time alone with God. Let me ask you a question, it's a new year. Think about it, don't answer, but when was the last time you just went and got away to hang out with the Lord? Just you. By yourself. Drove in your car, went down to the beach, or you know, just got away, or maybe even just a room in your house and shut the door and just hung out with the Lord. Intimacy with God. That's what we, do, that's what we should desire above all else. So the Lord meets Moses there. Look at verse 8. So it was, whenever Moses went out of the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. Now all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his own tent door. Now, this might sound pretty good. 
These guys are blowing it. Let me ask you a question. It says back there in verse 7 that anyone who sought the Lord went into the tabernacle of meeting. The Lord shows up, they look out, and he's far away from the camp, who knows how far away, but he's, far enough, he's close enough to where they can see him, but he's far away, and they look out of the camp, and they see him going to the tabernacle, and then the Shekinah glory of God falls, the Kabod, that glory of God, falls upon the tabernacle, and they're standing in their own tents, and they worship from there. Now let me ask you a question, where would you be? If Almighty God's in that tabernacle right over there, I'm running, Amen? I'm breaking my neck. I'm going. That's it. Who cares? Leave the tent behind. Leave the stuff behind. But you know what it is? These guys wanted to worship from their own comfort zone. You know, I just want to hang out in my house. You know, I, you know, I don't want to have to be put out or anything. I don't have to get in my car or drive. I don't have to walk. You know what I mean? I, you know, I just want to worship you. Lord, I just want to stay right here. I don't have to miss the kickoff of the football game. I can, you know, I can worship you for a few minutes, get my church in, and then just kind of hang out right where I'm at. They're not seeking after the Lord. They're trying to worship from their own comfort zone. It's interesting that the Lord, it says the Lord met with him face to face. It was unhindered communion with God. Now it's interesting that the Bible says, and we'll talk about this more at the end of the chapter, that God, no one has seen God at any time. But the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. I'm going I'm to say this. I believe that every time in the Old Testament you see someone saying they spoke face to face with God, because the Bible says no man has seen God at any time. Because if we saw God the Father, we'd be dead, you guys. We'd be toast. There's no way. We can't be in His presence, right? He said, if I came among you, if I was in your midst, you guys would all be consumed. I'm holy, you're not. Right? It won't work. So who is it that Hagar spoke with? And who is it that Gideon spoke with? And who is it that all these other people that say in the Old Testament that they spoke with God face to face or they saw God? Here's what I believe. I believe every single time it's a Christophany which is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Do you know that he's all over the Old Testament? Do you know it says that, that the Lord appeared unto them, and they would show up, and there would be Jesus ministering and speaking to them? And that's what happens, and you'll see it. You go through and look at each one of those individual places, and I believe they are Christophanies, where Jesus, pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. Because he's God, he always has been, he always will be, he's not a created being. So God the Father is not contained in a physical body, yet he is a person, and again, I believe they're Christophanies. Now, verse 10 there, it says, All the people saw the pillar. Now, all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing on the tabernacle, and though intrigued by it and interested in it, they were content to worship at a distance. And you know what? There's a lot of people that as Christians, we're happy to be Christians over here. You know, Lord, I, you know, I love you, and I got my get-out-of-hell-free card in my wallet. I walked that aisle, and I prayed that prayer, and I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but, you know, it's just part of my life. You know, you know, I've got other things in my life, and you know, I've got all these things that I am, and the Lord's just part of who I am. But the reality is, if you're a Christian, you're not a, you know, a, a female college student who works in such and such a place as part of this family who happens to be a Christian. You're a Christian who happens to be all those other things. Amen? First and foremost, you're a child of the King. And that's the stuff that's going to matter when we get to heaven. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to be a dad anymore. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to be a pastor anymore. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to be his son. And, oh, well, I'm going to be his son. But you, do you understand what I'm saying? When we get to heaven, the only thing that's going to matter is who I am in Christ. And these guys, though intrigued by it, they did not draw near unto the Lord. Moses didn't just witness God's glory from a distance. He entered into it. Every one of us, let me say this. Pay attention if you don't listen to anything else tonight. Every one of us is as close to God as we want to be. 
You are as close to God as you want to be. If you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen? Did God move? God didn't move. We moved. We're as close to God as we want to be. You, you, do you think if we come to the Lord in sincerity of heart and say, Lord, I just want to draw near to you. No, I don't have time for you. He's not going to do that. He loves that we want to come near to Him. And if we cry out to Him, He will draw us unto Himself. And so we're as close to God as we want to be or choose to be. God will take you as far as you want to go, but He'll never drag you a step further than you let Him. If you're not, again, if, as close to God as you, as you want to be or, or as you used to be, who moved? Now look at verse 11 here, and this is interesting. So the Lord spoke to Moses, Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. As he would return to the camp, but a servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. I love Joshua. This guy rocks. You know what? Joshua, when, they were up on, when Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days, and everybody else was partying, and Aaron was making a golden calf, where was Joshua? Who remembers? He was on the mountain waiting for Moses to come down. Forty days went by. I don't know how he ate. He must have been picking berries or slaying animals or something. But for 40 days, he waited. And now they're in the tabernacle. And who's the only one that's in the tabernacle? Who's the only one? All the other guys are in their tent. Yeah, whatever. Okay, at a distance. Yeah, right, we worship. And they're hanging out. They want the convenience of staying home. They don't want to be sold out for God. They're not going to make any effort. But who's the one that never leaves their tabernacle? Joshua. Now, isn't it interesting that in Numbers chapter 32, it says, Surely none of the men who come up from Egypt from 20 years of old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. Joshua couldn't get enough of God. He wanted to stay where God was going to be. Wherever that is, that's where I'm going. In the tabernacle, I don't care if anybody else is there, I'm showing up. You know, if there's a prayer meeting and there's two people, I'm going to be one of them. You know what? I don't care what's going on. I want to be where God's people are. I'm going to be up on the mountain. Everybody else is partying. Joshua's waiting to hear from God. You know what? We need more Joshua's today. Amen? We need more people that aren't worried about what the crowd's doing, about the party down at the bottom of the hill that they're missing, but instead they're waiting upon the Lord, and they want to hear from God, and they want to be used mightily by God. And because of that, Joshua was able to lead the people into the land of promise. Did Aaron go into the land of promise? What's the answer? No. How come? Making golden calves. You ain't going, man. Sorry. Moses, smote the rock. You're not going. Joshua, hanging out in the tabernacle, wants to hear from God, wants to draw near to the Lord. He stayed on that mountain. He's serving in the presence of God. You know what? Man, Santa Cruz County, Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. And I want to see God bring revival here, but it's got to start in each one of us first. It's got to start in my heart first. I need to be like Joshua, used mightily by God because he sought to be in God's presence. We need to see God's presence and be in close fellowship with Him or we can be content to worship at a distance, living in our comfort zone, you know, dabbling with the world. Number three, intercession on behalf of the people. Verse 12, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, see, you say to me, bring up this people. You have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you 
know your, know, know know you, excuse me, that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. So he says to him, Lord, you've told me you're going to send me out, but Lord, show me. Show me your plan. Show me your grace. And in verse 14, he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, while Israel had been in rebellion, Moses had been in intimate fellowship with God. And how does God respond to Moses? He says to him, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. When we walk in His will and in His presence, we will have His rest. Amen? You know what? If you're in trouble tonight, if you're going through difficulty in your life, if you're struggling... You're not walking in the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy, the Bible says. In the presence of God, there's peace. There's peace that surpasses all understanding. There's peace when the whole world around you is a mess. You can be diagnosed with cancer. You can have lost your job last week. You can have no money in your bank account. And you can have peace if you're walking with the Lord. Amen? You can have $10 million in the bank, perfect health, and if you're not walking with God, you'll have no peace. And so we see here, he says to him, and I love this verse, verse 14, he said, My presence will be with you and I will give you rest. Can there be a greater promise? The Lord is with us. He carries our burden. He gives us rest. But look at the heart of Moses. I love this guy. He's got a pastor's heart. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. What did he say to him? He said, I will give you rest. I will go with you. And he says, Lord, if you don't go with us, don't send us out. Heart of a pastor is, he's saying, look, praise God that you've blessed me, but I'm concerned about my people. I love my people, Lord. And it's a blessing to know that you will go with me, but Lord, you must go with us. Look at the difference. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. He said, my presence will be with you. Verse 15, then he said to him, if your presence does not go out with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Because Moses had been in God's presence, he had compassion for God's people. Lord, your presence is with me, but it must be with us. He wanted God's hand. Not only on him, but on his people. Let me ask you a question. The people are in rebellion, and Moses is interceding on their behalf to bring restoration between sinful man and holy God. Who's that a picture of? That's Jesus, right? We are sinful, wicked man, and there's perfect, holy God, and there's only one that can bring restoration between the two. There's only one that can take sinful, wicked man, stiff-necked, sinful, that's us, right? Sinners in need of a Savior. And we must be restored back to a holy God. But how is that possible? I've said it before. The word religion, religio, means to relink. Relinking sinful man back to holy God. Since the Garden of Eden, man has been separated from God. What restores us? There must be a sacrifice. There must be an intercessor. And the only one that can do it must be holy. Only a holy sacrifice can restore sinful man back to holy God. And that's who Jesus Christ is. And that's what we see here in Moses. He's interceding to restore sinful men back to a holy God. Lord, give your presence to us. Verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I have known your name. The Lord would be in the presence of the people of Israel for what reason? For Moses' sake. Because of Moses... He would 
bring His presence back upon the people of Israel. And because of Jesus, He will restore the people in this room. Amen? Moses, a typology or a picture of Jesus Christ. Because Moses had found grace in his sight. And we're blessed that we find favor in his sight. That we've been grafted into the vine. We've been adopted into his family because we're linked to Christ, our intercessor. Last point, verse 18. Intimacy with God. And I put down, beholding his glory. And he said, please show me your glory. Boy, that is a great request. Lord, I want to see your face. Lord, I want to behold your glory. Lord, draw me so close to you that I can see you for who you are. Lord, I want to be near you. Now remember, this is Moses who who was at the burning bush, right? This is the same Moses who we know had to veil his face because of his nearness to God. We know that this is a man who already walks with God, but what's his desire above all else? Lord, I want to behold your glory. Moses sought intimacy with God. That word glory, again, is kabod. And the world says, show me the money. And he says, show me your glory. Amen? That's what the world says. Show me the money. Right? Give me the stuff. Lord, I, here's what I want. And you know what? We find out what kind of people we are about what we crave and what we have a passion for. When you wake up in the morning, what is your passion for the day? Is it, I want to see how good I can do in school. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. But I want to see how much money I can make. I want to see, you know, how much I can bench press today. Lord, I want to see, you know, how many, how many girls I can get to look at me. How many guys I can get to look at me. Lord, I want to see how, you know, if I can get ahead at work today. Lord, I want to see how much money I can make. Lord, I want to see, or is it, Lord, all I want to do today is draw near to you and be used for your glory. Lord, I want to, my whole passion is to be near to you. I want to behold your glory. Show me your glory, not show me the money. Not show me the power, the possessions, the relationship. And you know what else? Let me say this. We can also make the mistake of putting ministry before God. We can be so involved in ministry that we forget about ministry to Him. You know what? We cannot minister for the Lord until we minister to the Lord and get ministered to from the Lord. Amen? We have to have an intimate relationship with Him. And as we draw near to Him, then we'll be able to minister to those around us. You cannot take people to a place you've never been yourself. Amen? If you're in love with God, you're going to do ministry. If you're near to Him and filled with the Spirit of the living God and you've drawn near to Him, you know what? You're going to have an impact on the world around you. You're going to be the moon, like we've been talking about, right? Reflecting the sun. What does the sun do? Reflects the moon. When you have a full moon, it's the sun shining brightly on it. And what should we do as Christians? Reflect the S-O-N. Amen? We need to be the moon, glowing in the dark. And you know what? We see here that He cries out and His desire above all else is, Lord, show me Your glory. Verse 19. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Moses' prayer was to see God as he is, but in those terms it's impossible to do so and, and to live. But you know what? Where do we see God? We see God when we see his goodness, when we see his creation, when we see his glory. But ultimately, it says in John 1.18, And then later it says that no man has seen God at any time, but the Son declares Him. Jesus later said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen? You want to see God? Look at Jesus. But He says here to him in verse 19, 
I will be gracious and I'll be compassionate on whom I have compassion. He points to his own sovereignty, that he's God, that he's in control. Verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. This points to the fact that no man has ever seen God the Father. Now again, there's times where they look from a distance and they see underneath him in the book of Revelation and there's other different places, but no one has ever directly seen God and lived. You can't. Impossible. He's too holy. He's too perfect. He's God. Okay? But we're going to see here that he's going to tell him, he's going to give him a foreshadow of who he is. And I love this because we're going to see one last little point that I want you to see here. So it says here in verse 21, And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. I love that. Where's the place near him? Where is it? It's standing on the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus Christ. You want to be near God the Father, you need to be standing on the rock. Amen? He said, here's a place near me, it's standing on the rock. You want to be near me? You come stand here. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. You want to be near to God? You can't meditate long enough. You can't chant long enough. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't crawl to Mecca on glass. You can't do any of that. Nothing, none of that will draw you near to God. You want to be near God? You stand on the rock. And then look at the last verse, last couple of verses. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then when I take away my hand, you shall see my back and my face shall not be seen. Now it's interesting. I took some time and, and kind of looked up what these words mean. And the word there for back is where we get the word afterglow. I believe that it's not... A, you know, first of all, the Bible talks about the fact that God cannot be contained in flesh. God the Father is God, and He's a person, but He's not, you know, like some people say, oh, God's 5'10", no, He's not. He holds the universe in the span of His hand, okay? A little bigger than 5'10", I'm thinking, right? And the reality is, that it says here, the afterglow. The only way we can experience the afterglow of His glory is to be where? Look what it says. In the cleft of the rock. What is a cleft in a rock? What happens to make a rock have a cleft? The rock must be what? It's broken. When a rock gets broken, what does it do? It leaves a cleft there. And he says, if you stand in the cleft of the rock, the place where the rock has been broken, then I will cover you with my hand, and as I go by, you will be able to see the backside of my glory, the afterglow, what's left behind me, you'll be able to see. And even that will blow your mind. Now imagine, what is that a picture of? The only way that we can truly behold the glory of God, we must be standing upon the rock, and the rock that would what? Be broken for us, amen? He was, he was broken for our sins. He was bruised for our transgressions. The Bible says, by His stripes we are healed. We know that they took whips and they beat our Savior and they broke Him. His organs were exposed and He suffered and died this most heinous of death that we might have eternal life. And I believe that's what this is a picture of. You stand in the cleft of the rock and only then can you behold His glory. There's no other place where the glory of God is going to shine upon us. It's with standing on the rock and in the cleft of the rock. And again, if someone is not in Christ, they can never ever experience God's glory. We live in Santa Cruz. A lot of different ways that people are trying to reach God here right? Chanting and all this kind of stuff. We, we were at the last place, they were chanting to the moon god. At the last place we were meeting, you, I think Gordy, you're doing what? We're chanting to the moon god. Oh, that, that's, that's effective. That'll work. You might as well just be yelling down a well. Oh, you, it's going to do nothing. You cannot come to God unless you're standing on the rock. There's only one way. 
God said to get to heaven and Jesus is the only way. So in conclusion, how do we live in the presence of God? Every one of us is as close to God as we want to be. If you come to Him an empty empty of selfish ambition and will, if you come like Joshua and Moses, desiring to be near to Him above all else, you will behold His glory. You'll behold His kabod. Remember again that the worship team will come up. Sin separates us from God. May we keep short accounts with Him. You know what? Let me encourage you with something as Christians this year. And New Year's resolutions are kind of lame, but you know, if it helps us, then let's go for it, right? It's like January 4th, you already broke them all anyway. But here's the reality. I want to encourage you with something. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. But I also believe that there's times when we harden our heart toward God. There's times when you're walking with the Lord and He can whisper like this and you hear Him. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Still small voice. Then there's times when you're in total rebellion and He's yelling at you and you hear nothing. You know what I mean? You're in rebellion. You're just, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. And you know, every time you sin, don't you choose to sin? Isn't that a fact? Isn't the Holy Spirit putting stop signs up in front of you every... every don't do it. Don't, oh, I'm doing it anyway, right? And that's what we do. We choose to sin. My prayer is that this year that we would be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I love Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's walking across the street. Prince of Preachers, they called him. He's walking across the street back in the late 1800s. And he gets out in the middle of the street and there's buggies and horses going by. And he stops in the middle of the street and he starts praying. Now these guys who've gone to lunch with him are standing on the other side of the street yelling at him. Get out of the street. What are you doing? And he just stood there. And when he got done praying, he walked across. He said, what were you doing? He said, a thought came into my mind that was sinful. It separated me from my father. And I didn't want to take another step until I got right with him. There's somebody who understands. You know what? Keep short accounts with God. You know what else we need to do? We need to pray. Because prayer doesn't change God's mind. It does what? Changes our hearts. God's mind doesn't need to be changed. He's perfect. But when we pray, we get our heart in line with Him. We need to be in the Word because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Jesus said He elevates His Word, the Bible says, He elevates His Word above His name. Why? Because people can take the name of Jesus and make it mean anything they want, but you cannot do that with the Word. He elevates His Word even above His name. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit who convicts us and comforts us. We need to be in fellowship. A place where we're kept accountable. It allows us to minister to others and others to minister to us. And what we're going to do right now, we need to be people who worship. Do you know that it blesses the Lord when we worship? Do you know that it's sweet to Him? Do you know it brings a smile to our God's face? I mean, that's possible. Do you know what I mean? That's what the Bible says. And you want to know what heaven's going to be like? We're not going to read the Bible in heaven. How many of you know that? Jesus, the Word's going to be there. We don't need the Bible anymore. That's it, right? We're not going to pray in heaven. He's going to be right there. Talk to him. Hey, right? We're not going to be witnessing in heaven because everybody there is already saved. Amen? So one of, the, one of the few things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven is worship. We get to heaven, we're going to worship him forever and evermore. And you know what? Start loving worship. Amen? Because it blesses our Savior. It knits our hearts to Him. It puts our eyes on Him. And it gives us a taste of heaven. So for 2003, I pray that this will be the year that you experience God's glory, His grace, and His presence like never before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that we can draw into Your presence, not because of our good works, not because of our efforts or how hard we try, but Lord, because You paid the price for us. And Lord, if we want to be near to You, then we just need to stand on the rock. Lord, I pray that tonight we would be standing upon the rock of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was broken, that the cleft is there that will cover us up, that we might draw near and experience your glory. 
Father, I pray, Lord, that we would truly become the men and women of God you've called us to be. I pray, Lord, this would be a year that you bring revival to, to Santa Cruz County. Lord, to Stockton as well, Father. Bring revival. And Lord, may it start in each one of our hearts. Start in our homes, Lord. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you. You're such a, a forgiving God. Lord, just bless the rest of this evening, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song. Let's worship him.